Howdy, friends. Listen, before we jump in, check this out. We've got some exciting news. As you know, Peter and I work for Bottle Rocket, and we would love for you to join our team. Listen, we're a work-from-wherever company, and we're self-managed vacation. Not to mention, you get to work with great people. Take, for example, Peter and I. It sounds great, right? So if you are ready to do the best work of your life, and join an extraordinary team. Hit the link in the show notes to see our current open positions and apply today. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Liftoff by Bottle Rocket. I'm Tony Dosat. And I'm Peter Clayman. Hey, this is exciting. Is this our first double? Two for the price I think it of is. one, Peter? Yeah, okay, awesome. it's the first double. Oh, sweet. What a joy. We have... Um, Really cool guests today. They're the founders of Project Matriarchs and have some new new cool stuff coming up too that is in the works that we're going to be talking about. Um, but without further ado, Lola McAllister and Pilar McDonald, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. We're so glad to be here. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. I'm very excited to be talking with you both. So you guys ever kick things? Oh, oh yeah, Tony. Oh, okay, okay, Tony. Oh, I see. You go for it. No, you go. Well, mine is so stupid that I just want to get it out of the way. <laughs> um, do you guys ever play with the McAllister McDonald thing, like the two, the Mick this, Mick that, or is it? Look, That's a good question. I, I think our main benefits from that came when we were in middle school together and always got to, we graduated holding hands, walking down our <laughs> oh, eighth grade graduation. So I'd say that was the main benefit of that's always super being next to each other in line and whatnot. Okay, Peter, I'm done being silly. Let's get serious. I can't believe that was your first question. Okay, well, well I'm glad first... you got it out. Uh, so Project Matriarchs, like fill us in. What is it? What are you advocating for? Tell us a little bit more. Totally. Okay. So how it started, I guess we can start there. Um, we started about a year ago. So kind of right when we were in the midst of the pandemic and families were facing the start of the school year. And we were already kind of seeing all of these predictions of macro trends of women in particular, but you know, working parents in general, leaving the workforce in just like incredible masses. And PLR and I were having conversations with people close to us and people were connected to and just kind of feeling like, oh my God, if this is the reality that we inherit, like we don't want to have kids essentially. Um, and so we were kind of, we were just responding to this really kind of scary gendered expectation that moms in particular, were going to just, you know, drop everything, leave the workforce, potentially sacrifice their family's financial security or their, you know, career ambitions because there was no childcare during the pandemic. Um, and so we kind of were thinking about what we had to leverage towards some sort of solution. We were both thinking about taking a year off from college. And so we were like, we have time, we have energy, we have connections to our college communities. How could we potentially leverage those things to, towards some sort of solution? And so really do think that our communities of fellow college students are our greatest resource. And so we started pairing college students with families um, to provide virtual so that it was COVID safe. Essentially childcare, academic support, really anything that just keeps the kid engaged over Zoom and out of their parent or caregiver's kind of hair. So um, we did that. It's been awesome. We've, it's scaled pretty well because it's virtual and, and easy to do. 
Um, and we're just really kind of, it's gratifying to see the kind of impact that an hour or two of free time a day can have for a caregiver. Um, it can make a massive difference. Um, but we were really like what we were most compelled by was the way that, so we had way more called students interview with us than we could ever potentially match with families. And we were just really kind of wowed by the fact that college students were coming to work with us um, for a rate of compensation that's definitely lower than what they could ask for if they were tutoring independently. Um, just because they were drawn to the fact that, that our, our tutoring slash childcare service had a really a deeper mission. And so everybody brought their kind of their own sort of personal connection to care and, you know, how, whether it was they saw their single mom kind of struggle to access childcare outside of the pandemic when they were kids um, while maintaining her job or something like that. And so everybody brought like sort of a, a personal narrative that made people connect to care in a way that I don't think our generation has really had these, these conversations before. And so we were compelled by that and started thinking about how we could potentially try to build on, on that momentum and get more of our generation involved in this, the really like incredible movement we're seeing right now to um, enact progressive care policy in the U S um, and I, I can pass it over to Pilar to talk a bit about our advocacy work, but we're really focused on challenging the private sector to do better. Yeah. Over the past summer, we hired 30 interns, um, all of whom are currently in college, um, to do what we are calling our pledge to care. So we had the launch of our pledge to care at the end of the summer as a culmination of kind of the work that we've done. Um, And our pledge to care basically outlines value statements of our generation towards employers basically kind of saying that we value paid leave, we value employer support for childcare, um, and that can all be found on our website. And I won't go into kind of the exact specifics of that right now. Um, but the reason we did it like that was so that college students and people across generations could sign on to really show our support for these policies. So we kind of came at this from if we care about something, companies need to listen up and care about it too. Um, We have this unique positionality that we are going to be being hired by companies soon. Um, And so if we care about care, what does that really mean for companies to see that and have to enact policies to reflect that? This is all really impressive. I have so many questions um, right off the bat, but first I can't get over, when I was second year at college, what I was doing and thinking about <laughs> compared to <laughs> compared to y'all and compared to the, those that are involved, it really is really impressive. And it leads me to, do you think that Gen Z, and I'm, this isn't a leading question, I'm really curious. Do you think that Gen Z is more mission-driven than the rest of the generations? If so, Why? That's a really good question. Um, And I would say I think so. But I also think that our generation has been equipped with a lot of tools to make organizing around social missions um, a lot easier and a lot Mm. more effective and efficient. Um, And I mean, our, our generation has proven so capable of organizing ourselves around social missions that we care about, whether that's like, you know, Black Lives Matter, whether that's, you know, gun control and kind of walking out of our schools for climate or anything like that. Like 
we really have have ways to kind of organize ourselves that prior generations didn't benefit from at our age. But I do think that, I mean, research shows that our generation is like by far the most diverse of recent generations um, and that we make a lot more decisions according to our values. So we kind of like, you know, act in ways in accordance with with our kind of like social orientations. So I would say that those facts do point point towards, you know, likely engaging in, you know, more sort of socially minded activity. But with the caveat that we are equipped with really critical, you know, tools. There's a bit of, I mean, I, I guess there's some privilege there, right? To have those tools at your disposal. And to to have that is really an amazing, amazing thing. That just, it didn't exist, right? Like how many people can mobilize when it was just posters flyers posters flyers radio right like this these antiquated things that you just can't get the numbers and the sort of tony you're making us sound so old right well you're gen we, Z, I aren't you no i'm a millennial too oh i'm a geriatric millennial that's what they call it. you're so. a geriatric millennial yeah yeah so i guess you know my question would be you know, so a lot of our listeners out there are in leadership level roles within organizations. What advice would you have both as a consumer of the future and as an employee of the future to those organizations to ensure they're fit for purpose? Yes. Um, so Lola and I, I think, hold a unique position in that we've spent the last year really talking to working caregivers and getting that perspective, reading a lot about it, talking to other stakeholders in that movement, as well as hold the positionality of possible future working caregivers. Um, And so I think from our experience and kind of how we derived our pledge to care, one thing that is most important is really listening to your employees and both in the hiring and retainment processes, processes. Um, So that can really look like employees feeling like there might be small steps that they can take, whether it's, you know, providing lactation rooms for working mothers or um, offering kind of paid leave or flexible work schedules or um, longer time at home or whatever it kind of be. And there's, there's, massive amounts of research on that. And a lot of that is included in our pledge to care, but really stemming from the perspective that an employee can actually be a lot better at their job if they are adequately supported in their caregiving responsibilities and the intersection between that and their work responsibilities. Um, And so this can really look like valuing everyone as a caregiver and seeing that the ways in which we care for ourselves, our friends, our animals, our plants, our kids, whatever it may be, um, actually can be a benefit to the way that we show up for ourselves and our companies at work. Um, And so we've really structured our society, especially especially in the corporate sphere around devaluing caregiving and seeing that as a detriment to one's ability to be present or perform in the workplace. Um, And so kind of reframing that as seeing what kind of going and having those hands-on conversations and really listening to people who are experiencing that rather than assuming what might come out of that. Um, And to add on to that, Lola and I, in our pledge to care, we really want to put an effort towards having these conversations with younger folks and people our age before it kind of gets to the point of employer and employee dynamics. Lola and I are very, very lucky to kind of go to the schools that we do and, and 
surround ourselves in environments of academia and people who are also kind of here. Um, and so wanting to have these conversations as to point out that caregiving is important to us now and will continue to be as we take on more caregiving responsibilities. And so if we're talking to our peers, especially those that are male identifying right now, what does it look like to start those conversations and understand the value of caregiving before decisions are made at a corporate or public policy level? It makes a huge difference. I've worked at, at, at many places now and in, in my, I guess, 10 or 12 years I've been in the workforce. And those that help bolster a successful lifestyle, whether you're in the office or at home, and actually understand that we're human beings. <laughs> you know, I feel like a lot of organizations just forget that we're human beings. And it makes a huge difference. Speaking, I mean, I'm a father of two, right? And my wife is a powerhouse, like working, crushing it, killing it. We both have our thing. And luckily... Where I work, Bottle Rocket, is extraordinary in that, you know. So I, I think it's huge, and I think what you guys are doing is is huge, and more companies should be more in tune with caregiving. Because like you said, it's, you know, when you first hear caregiving, the definition and the thought behind it is a lot different than what it actually means to be a caregiver. So that's big. Um. So what brought, what, what started it, right? When and why? Um, I think for us, we like, I mean, if you talk to us like a year and a half ago, we would never have said like, oh yeah, we're going to turn into like care advocates. We'd be like, what does that even mean? Like, what, what do you mean by care? Like, what does yeah. that mean? Um, and so I think that the, the summer, not this past summer, summer prior to 2020 was just so critical for us in terms of understanding, like it started as like really a feminist issue for us, honestly, before we kind of realized that, you know, insufficient systems of support for care, like it's critical, like improving that is, is critical to racial justice, critical to gender equity, critical to essentially all forms of justice in our country. But for us, it really started as like a feminist issue. We were kind of like, oh my gosh, women are going to leave the workforce and set us back decades in terms of progress towards gender parity um, in, in the workforce. And that is insane. The fact that like our kind of gender norms are that kind of frat or like the support for women is that fragile that in, you know, one pandemic, we could just go back decades in terms of progress. And so that I think first and foremost is what scared us into action um because we were like we are female identifying we are entering the workforce in a few years we thought we wanted to have kids but not if you know inevitably there's going to be another crisis in our lifetime um and if it's going to fall on us um like and our labor and our mental health to kind of like take care of our families and if we continue to think of care as like a personal responsibility rather than a systemic sort of responsibility um, and collective issue, like we're, we don't want to do that. Um, and so for us, it was kind of like a very personal reckoning with like, do we really want to become parents if we exist in a world that completely undervalues the, the labor, particularly of, of mothering? Um, and the answer was pretty much no for us, um, which is kind of crazy. We both talked to between the three of us, we have three moms, sorry, the two of us, we have three moms. Um, and we talked to our parents and we we're like, we don't work like, and we don't want to have kids not in this kind of 
system and they're like, Oh, that's super sad. Wrong time for your kids. And it's like, well, okay, something's got to change. Um, and so that's when we started kind of digging in more and started to understand the issue of, of care and the way our country really uniquely, I think it's important to note compared to other quote unquote developed countries, um, just completely undervalues and does not invest in, in care and caregiving and particularly parenting. Um, and we started to understand the issue, that issue as, as one that's central to pretty much all forms of justice. Um, Cause obviously it's, it's incredibly intersectional, like your identity, your, your gender, sexuality, racial, ethnic identities and intersection with your care status very much informs um, one's experience as a, as a caregiver. So, yeah. It's interesting, you know, saying that you were speaking with your moms and saying, um, I don't think that I want to have kids because of X, Y, Z in this, in the current sort of work culture and societal implications therein. And you didn't even mention the timing of cash flow issue, but you know, we'll move past that. Well, and, and here's, and, and I'm thinking, so I'm there, it's, it's interesting, you know, it's a huge thing, um, but it's only one slice of the pie of the fear pie. Let's call it. It's a large slice. But if we look at the whole fear pie of, I don't want to bring kids into this world. I can't empathize with what your existence is life is like and what your challenges have been but there's a whole other fear pie or whole other rest of the fear pie of, I don't want to bring kids into this, but then you do. And I think it amplifies the fight. You see what I'm saying? I'm not advocating for you to go have kids right now, but I'm saying the fear pie is there. It will always be there, but having the kids, I think amplifies the fight. Yeah, definitely. That was um, my mom's, I think probably, not main argument like it hasn't gotten to the point of arguments or anything and she's very um um open and empathetic to kind of whatever I choose to do longer down the line um but yeah her main point in so I have three younger siblings so four kids is definitely um a lot to to bring into the world um and I think that she really relates to that point exactly of being able to like empathize and connect and fight on a whole new level than before she had kids um, in a way that she claims kind of might not be looking at. Um, and yeah, I think that's super valid. And I think that me and Lola like come from this perspective of obviously not having kids ourselves and not having to had take taken on a lot of caregiving responsibilities previously. Um, so that is not the perspective we can speak wholeheartedly to, nor do we know what it's like to be a working caregiver by any means. Um, but I think that the conversations we really want to start having are how do we change the infrastructure of our society? So that doesn't even have to be a thought. And so that, of course, like I've talked to many of my male identifying peers who just kind of assume that they will have kids and don't really necessarily have to think about how that intersection with the careers they want or the different aspects of things they want in life may be prohibitive. Whereas I've talked to a lot of female identifying friends um, who think about that quite often in planning their college majors and, you know, career paths and whatnot. Um, And so I think it's really, if we have these two different perspectives, of course, along with many in the middle, 
and outskirts of that. How do we really, from our generation at this point in our lives, start these conversations and start making the change so that this doesn't have to continue to be a dilemma for generations in the future as of ourselves in a few years. So I have one question before we go to the lightning round. You know, y'all have identified an issue you're passionate about and figured out a way to advocate on behalf of that. For people out there who might be passionate about an issue, but don't know how to get started on the path towards advocating for their belief set, what advice do you have for them? Regardless of where they're at in their journey from a career perspective, like it's really impressive y'all have taken time out of school to do it even before you enter the workforce. You know, what, what would you tell them? Um, I would say start by having conversations with the people impacted by the issue you're, you're interested in and go from there and like move slowly. Um, we kind of started in a, tried to move quickly because we we're trying to come up with a solution that was helpful during the pandemic. And so we kind of had some constraints in terms of timing, um, but start by having thoughtful conversations with as, as many people as you can who are impacted by the issue. And then go from there. And then, you know, people will say, oh, you should talk to this person. You should talk to somebody who does this. And you'll kind of go from there by sort of like mapping out the, the issue space that you want to work on. Let's drive this into a plug. So where can people connect with you, with what you got going on and get involved? Yeah, for sure. Um, so really best place to visit us is on our website, projectmatriarchs.com. Um, there we link to kind of our actual pledge. Really the most important thing right now to do to support us is signing our pledge to care. So again, you can find the whole pledge and how to sign very like one minute process um, on our website and then amplifying, sending it to anyone else, you know, who may be a caregiver, regardless of their generation, um, who cares about caregiving, who's appreciative of someone who cared for them in their life. Um, who may be thinking about becoming a caregiver, all the kind of different aspects in which we value care and relate to care in our individual lives. So signing the pledge to care and then amplifying it are really the best ways to get connected. Love it. So let's hit them with the lightning round. Here we go. Exciting stuff. <laughs> Here's the rules. We ask a question. You have to answer with only one word. It's going to be hard because maybe your word's going to influence the other person, depending on whoever answers first. But try to have your own word, and you can't. And we've get never it. had a double lightning round, yeah. so <laughs> that you both get to answer, but both with one word, and then we don't we don't dive into it. We just let it sit and roast or marinate. Okay, I'll start. Are you ready for the lightning round? <laughs> it's like a game show with multiple I think people. So. Okay. <laughs> What makes a great matriarch? Damn, Tony. I got hard ones this time. Support. Confidence. Oh, yep. Those are both really good. We're not going to get into it, but I'm just like, they're both very good. <laughs> All right, Peter. You set me up for failure here, Tony. I had a stupid one. Now I'm like really racking my brain for something. You can do a some stupid value. one. It's fine. We're having yeah, I fun. Don't know. Uh, um, so if you look at like the continuum of care and roles change, that's my favorite AARP dashboard ever, right? They have a billboard that just say roles change. Um, what would you describe as the key emotional driver of a caregiver? Love. Care. <laughs> 
I wish people could see the, the struggle that we witnessed from Lola trying to find a word. Those are both really good, though. Okay, here we go. Last lightning round question, and then Peter will uh, hit you with our final question we ask every guest. But first, why Gen Z? Urgency. Ooh. Purpose. That's why I love lightning Man. round. It's so good. I, I want to unpack that. Okay, but we can't. To our final question, which I consistently mess up, but this is to both of you, and feel free to expand on it. Um, name one non-digital object or thing that you own or possess that means the most to you or has impacted your life the most and why. I would say my journal probably, um, and expanding upon that, the, the different journals that I've been through. Um, but I think really just like as a way to chronic, chronicle kind of what's happening in my life and what I'm feeling through that has been like a really, really important process of reflection for me and way to kind of cope with different emotions and work through different situations. Um, and then I think that also kind of the intersection of journaling for me has been a lot of just like doodles and drawing my feelings out and kind of connecting like the intellectual sides of my brain to the more creative um, and being able to put that down on paper. So love that. Yeah. I was actually going to say the same thing. So I will say my, my next thing, which is, not as profound, but it's a essential oil diffuser and I use it whenever I sleep and it's kind of like added a ritual to sleeping that I've never had before. And kind of like both of my brothers, interestingly, are strong advocates of like the nighttime routine routine and like sleep hygiene and stuff. And this year at school, it's something I'm really focusing on is trying to value my sleep above other things and kind of see how that impacts my life. Um, and so the essential oil diffuser kind of encompasses that, um, that effort. We'll see how it goes, but yeah. Well, <laughs> if y'all do one day decide to become parents, valuing sleep now is paramount. So Lola, I think that's a great suggestion from your brothers. Listen, this has really been fun. I'm glad you guys took the time out to chat with us today. It's a great cause. It's a great purpose y'all have. And we can't wait to see where this goes. Thank you both. Yeah, it's so lovely to chat with you. And we really appreciate those, those kind words. Yes, thank you so much, you guys. It's a lot of fun.